This is an ABC podcast. I'm in my mum and dad's room at home and I'm a kid and my mum is pulling stuff down from the cupboards, like the up high cupboard, you know, above their wardrobe. And she pulls down a picture and it's like a black and white picture of him sitting on like a rock somewhere, maybe next to a river and he's got no shirt on. He's like, uh, you know, mid to late 20s guy, just smiling. This is Fernando. This is my, like, real father, quote-unquote real father. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, Aidan Jones! I'm Elizabeth Kulas. Welcome to Days Like These. Aidan Jones is a stand-up comedian. And the defining story of his life happened before he was born. It's about, I'm I'm half Colombian, so my mum was backpacking in South America when she was 22, came home, found out she was pregnant. Aiden was the result. Pretty good story. Anyone else cocaine babies or? Just me. It's a series of events that would take almost 30 years for him to untangle and to finally come face to face with his real dad. For the first few years of his life, Aidan's mum raised him as a single parent in Adelaide in the 1990s. By the time he turns two, she meets Derek. He's quiet, works hard as a welder. They get together, and a few years later, Aidan's brother is born. And the existence of Aidan's biological father, it's not something they ever really talk about, but it's not some big secret either. Aidan knows that Derek is technically his stepdad, but when he turns 10, Aidan's mum calls him into her bedroom to share some mementos of a man she calls Fernando. So she's pulling this stuff down and she's telling me about my dad, but she's also telling me about her trip and remembering that. And she pulls down a picture and she pulls down um, a poncho and goes to open it up and it's like moth-ridden and there's all holes in it and she sees that for the first time and she's like, oh, it's, oh, no, and she's really sad and disappointed and then she pulls down a pan flute and she's like, um, yeah, Fernando made this. And you blow into them at an angle and they make like sounds. Aiden takes in this information about Fernando, but it doesn't change anything about his daily life. This is still his family. Derek is still his dad. And the love between them, it's not flashy, but it is real. Like if I think back to my family life, After dinner, we would eat dinner like in front of the TV. And then after dinner, my mum's like reading a book somewhere. My brother is like playing computer games. My dad's out on the porch, drinking, smoking, staring at the fence. And um, I'm playing piano. And as Aidan sits in the living room, practising scales, singing occasionally, the glass door to the porch stays open most nights. He knows that Derek is listening from out there. In the dark. He doesn't say anything, but Aiden is playing for him. Because Derek is always there, applying spit to the needle of an air pump to blow up a soccer ball in the backyard. When Aiden gets into skateboarding, Derek welds him a handrail with pins that slot perfectly into holes in the cement driveway. All through his childhood, as Aiden skates or plays or runs through the house, Derek sits at a distance quietly taking it in. 
As Aidan grows into a teenager, he's popular, bright, articulate. He does well at school without really trying, and the family jokes that he's destined to become a doctor. And with that comes a developing teenage ego, and no small amount of father-son conflict. I always knew, everyone always told me I was really smart and I always could make people laugh. And so I was like, well, I'm clearly a genius and um, you are not a genius, Dad, you're a welder. So why don't we establish that in the pecking order? When he wants to, Aidan knows how to hit Derek where it hurts. I got a scholarship to a private school, a half scholarship, so the fees were still five grand a year. And um, he used to, like, remind me of, like, he would say, if you weren't going to Emmanuel College, I would have bought a fishing boat by now. And so then I would snarkily snipe back whatever I was going to snipe back at that. Like, um, maybe if you'd worked harder in school, you'd already have a boat. But even through these turbulent teenage years, Aidan knows that there's love between them. And while he's more than happy to throw one-liners at Derek, at a deeper level, he knows that some things are best left unsaid. Not that that stops other people asking. You know, oh, where are you from? Like, you got dark skin. And I knew the story that I was half Colombian. My mum told me when I was 10, but I guess I'd chosen to kind of half forget it. I didn't know what a, a Colombian was or a Venezuelan was. I had engaged the same level with, like, the particulars of Latin American culture as the society around me. People would ask me questions and I would just humour them, you know? Like, they would go, are you from Mexico? And I was like, maybe. Uh, like, that was the extent of my inquiries. It was just other people asking and me just shrugging the questions off. It felt like a, a thing that I wasn't ready to scratch, you know? Like a sore or something. Um, yeah, I was just like, let's just leave that. Aiden just leaves that because he's worried that it will hurt Derek if he were to seek out this other man. And so he buries the existence of Fernando and of Colombia as a personal place of any particular interest. If I do this thing that I do want to do, if I'm honest with myself, like even at the time, I'm like, I'd like to know but my dad has been there for me my whole life and um, I didn't want him to think that I was cheating on him with other dads. as like a silly way to put the idea that I might be dishonouring my father. Ten years pass. Aidan graduates high school, goes to uni for a while. And then by the time he's 24, Aidan's living in London, doing stand-up gigs at night, and working a cafe job during the day. And I get a message one day from my mum. I'm at work. Uh, I'm making coffee. I'm, like, standing at the coffee machine making coffee. And um, she just said, can we talk? Like, I need to call you. My boss was there. I remember my boss was just, like, a great dude. And uh, I think I just turned to him and I was like, hey, man, my parents are splitting up. Can I, like, take five? (laughs) And he was like, yeah, man, yes. And so it was like a long, thin shop with a big glass front. So there's not really any quiet corners, but I just like go down one end and I call my mum and she's like, you know, I've not been happy for a long time and that what am I like waiting around for, you know, that this is my life right now and if I don't take this moment, then another 10 years are going to be by and I'm still going to be unhappy. Is that 
is that the moment where you start thinking about Fernando again? Yeah, like instantly. It's so hilarious to me, man. Almost instantly I was like, all right, well, let's find Fernando. The way that I've explained in stand-up is that my family's already broken, so what more damage can I do? But actually that's not quite it. Maybe it's like, you know, my mum's not with my dad anymore, so he's not my dad anymore, so who's my dad now? And pretty soon, the cogs start turning. I messaged mum to see if we could find him, and she said, yep, I'll give it a crack. I'm expecting it's going to be a long process. Church records, you know, (laughs) some sort of... Family tree. Yeah, 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 big things. And then it took like a few days... She just found him on Facebook. So she called him. They spoke. So the story is um, he was living in Vienna in Austria and he's in jail and ends that with, so just so you know, he makes bad decisions because he's in jail right now. How do you feel when you hear that? Loved it. So excited. I was like, yeah, this dude rocks. (laughs) Yeah, just like, because I like, you know, chaotic things, especially when I was younger. And so to hear that my biological dad is in jail, I was like, sick. Yes, man. What stories has this guy got? As it turns out, Fernando had one hell of a story. He had... um, A few years previous, wanted to open a Colombian restaurant, but we had already sunk, like, all of his money in, and he can't get a loan from banks. And so he takes this loan off these people who maybe not the best kind of people, but he's like, I'll figure it out. And that, I understand that, I'll figure it out. Fernando borrows 50,000 euros. With the money, he gets the restaurant finished and opens its doors. But a short time later, the loan sharks return, and they're demanding their money plus interest, now. They changed the terms of the deal, you know, like just, and they came with pictures of his wife and his house with the implicit threat that like, and then they beat him up. I think they like really hurt him. So he went home drinking, staring at the TV, just drinking wine from the bottle. And on the TV was just, you know, the news or daytime TV cop shows and stuff. And that put in his head like, oh, I'll just rob a bank. I'll rob a bank. That's what I'll do. Like outside Vienna, drives a few hours to a small town. And he put a stocking, literally put a stocking over his head uh, with a gun, with like a replica gun. And goes in there with his gun and sticks him up and gets 50,000 euros. Fernando quickly makes his escape, hightails it out of there. But not long after he's back on the road, he hears an ominous sound. And there's like a helicopter, like as he's leaving, like straight away. <laughs> um, he's not a criminal. He has no idea how to do this. He should have taken some classes or something. Pulls over on the side of a highway and then runs out into the forest. You know, they're like chasing him and they catch him. And... Uh, goes through the court system in Austria, gives evidence against these people who were actually, like, you know, full-on criminals and they're like some sort of Russian mafia and they just kind of disappeared. And they realised this guy's not a criminal, he's just an idiot. So four years in a minimum security prison was what he did and I think this is a prison where you can go home and visit your wife every now and then. 
and he called me from there. He has a very warm voice, half in Spanish, half in English, but he's saying stuff like, I've been waiting my whole life to talk to you and to know you and speak to you. And I'm so happy that this moment has arrived and that I can talk to you. You're my son, all this stuff. He tells me, I guess, about his life and about uh, Miguel, his other son, my half-brother, that I have this family in Colombia, lots of aunts and uncles who want to meet me and know me and everything. And then when I hang up the phone, a lot of these people add me on Facebook, calling me tío or um, primo, which is like uncle or cousin. And I think he says, like, you know, I'd love to meet you. And I'm like, yeah, cool. All right, maybe soon. But they don't meet soon. Aidan gets busy with his life in London, with his work in comedy. And when he does have time to think about his family relationships, he's busy rebuilding his relationship with Derek after his parents split. Derek has moved away. He has a new partner, a new home. And when Aidan goes back to Australia to see his mum and his brother, he travels out to see Derek. Still quiet, still not much of a talker, Derek organises a comedy show in the backyard and asks Aidan to perform. Through this time, Aidan will occasionally receive long messages from Fernando. They're almost like poems, long and heartfelt. But something about them makes it impossible for Aidan to respond. Four years pass this way. And then Aidan hears from his half-brother Miguel. Fernando has had a heart attack. And Aidan feels that if he's going to meet this man, it's now or never. So back in Europe, he books a ticket to Vienna to stay for the weekend. And I get on the plane and I'm, like, shaky and, like, sweating, fantasising about the plane crashing. And if I die and I just don't have to do it, wouldn't that be easier? I landed and I was like, oh, well, at least I have time to go get my bag and that'll give me, like, a bit of time to just, like, relax and chill before I do this, like, walk out the gates because he's waiting at the gate. You know, your bag takes a long time to come out. It was the first bag. The first bag (laughs) that came out of the carousel was my bag. Just coming towards me laughing. Walk out and Fernando's there. I see him. He is wearing a white button-up shirt and uh, some religious icon around his neck and a sombrero vueltiao, which is a a Colombian hat. It's like a big, like a sombrero type hat. It's a very particular hat that Colombian people all know. He looks like he's dressed up as a Colombian man. And uh, I've come to realise that that's how he dresses literally every single day because he's really proud of his Colombian heritage and of his identity as a Colombian. Miguel is wearing like a a jumper with like the name of some obscure metal band on it. And I hug them and they're shorter than me. Pretty good. Um, (laughs) I imagine that it might be like that we might cry, but we didn't cry. We hugged, but it was just like a hug. It was just like, yep, good on (laughs) you. You know, there we are. And we're here. (laughs) And that's done. And now we're walking to the car. Aidan has dinner with Fernando and his half-brother Miguel. They go for ice cream, make small talk. And as his head hits the pillow, he marvels at how bizarre it all feels to be spending the night in this man's spare room. 
then the next day, it was just me and Fernando, and he puts the hat on in the morning. He's got the hat on before we leave the house. And uh, me and him go and do like a walking tour of Vienna. As they take in the monuments and the statues and the open-air cafes, Aidan learns more about Fernando. That his grandmother had been a proud Indigenous Colombian woman, that his parents had died when he was young and he'd been raised by his older siblings. As they communicate half in English, half in Spanish, he's genial and warm. He's full of life. He's definitely, you know, respected in his community and, like, I feel like I can kind of see a little bit of me in that. Loud, you know, just like a big personality. He he calls himself Don Indio, which is, uh, and like Indio is like, you know, Indian or like native or whatever. So he'll introduce himself as Indio. So we go to this like strip of a few restaurants that are like Colombian restaurants that some of his friends own these restaurants or whatever. And he introduces me to a few of his friends and they're very excited to meet me and it's all good. I don't know, like I'm glad that he's happy that I'm there and that he wants to introduce me to all of these people and, you know, I like that, but a little resentful of just, yeah, this like unearned, like mi hijo, you know, he's calling me mi hijo, that's my son. And I'm like, I don't know, man, I don't know if I'm your son, you know. I feel a little bit like opposed to that wording, like you didn't earn that. And... um yeah, it just feels like unearned. As the day goes on, Aiden becomes increasingly frustrated and restless. And the conversation's like a bit stunted and not really free-flowing and I'm feeling, I just, I feel like I'm not getting what I want from him. He was telling me about the buildings in Vienna and I was like, what? <laughs> he wants to give you an architecture tour. Yeah, I mean, that's, I understand. He wants to show me his home and his life and I get that. That's not why I came here, old man. (laughs) The small talk and the sightseeing start to get on Aidan's nerves. At the same time, hearing more about Fernando's personal history feels like too much, too soon. Aidan can see that Fernando's trying. He tells Aidan that his visa to Australia just never worked out, that no one's to blame here, that he's happy to be meeting him now. But none of it really sinks in, because although they circle around and around it, Fernando never gets to the core of what Aiden is really feeling. It's abandonment. That's what he feels. I just am unwilling to accept that it was just flat out impossible for this guy to be in my life. I'm like, if you really wanted to be in my life, you would have figured out a way to do it, and you didn't, and I'm angry about that. And there's the undeniable fact that almost 30 years of life has piled up between them. And nothing now can ever really change that. I just want to scream and cry in this guy's face and I want you to say you're sorry, man. And he just didn't. And I didn't want to beg for it, so, yeah. Did you ask for it? No. No, I didn't. That night... Aidan organises to do a stand-up gig at a comedy club in Vienna. Fernando offers to come along, watch from the audience. But on this point, Aidan is unequivocal. He wants to do this on his own. I go on stage. Thank you guys very much. Thank you guys. Maybe I opened with like one or two jokes and then just started talking uh, about it. The reason I'm in Vienna 
uh, is because I met my biological father yesterday. That was the, I think that was the moment when I admitted when I was on stage. I was like, I thought it would be different. I didn't come here to talk about your beard. Do you know what I mean? I was like, I'm scared too, all right, man? But just, I didn't, why did you leave, all right? And then you can tell me about your favourite pub. <sighs> Pretty unhinged, emotional, just a dumping of emotions on the stage. Jesus Christ. I've been trying, I've been thinking about this for such a long time and it happened yesterday and I was so scared. I got off the plane and I was terrified and then I get to the, I got to the airport and I saw him and my half brother there, whose name's Miguel. Um, (laughs) And uh, I saw them there and all the fear went away, but not in terms of it went away and I knew everything. No, it just went away and then there were just two dudes with the same fucking noses as me standing there and we got in a car and went home and had some soup. No, I reckon it, people did kind of freak people out a little bit. They were like, oh man, is this guy right? I thought it was going to be more than that, you know? I thought it was going to be something different and it was just, it's just this. And I'm not disappointed, I'm just fucking confused. I'm sorry to put this on you guys, I really am. <laughs> I've been trying to connect with who I am as a... Look, I don't know. I, I grew up in Adelaide in Australia. Right? <laughs> I think some people after me were like, was that true? And I was like, yeah, of course it was true. It wasn't funny. So, you know, like, it was definitely true. The next morning, it's Aiden's last day in Vienna. Fernando enters the spare room where he's been sleeping and he wakes him up with a cup of coffee. Like, I'm sitting on the edge of the bed that I was just asleep in. And he's like, here, I want to show you something. And he's, like, got in that room a wardrobe full of instruments that he makes by hand. He's, like, looking at me. He's like, yeah, this is a a gaita, a kind of clarinet-shaped thing, but it's wooden. It's got a few holes in it and a little plastic reed. And he's like, yeah, I made this. And he just, like, starts playing, just, like, really kind of apropos of nothing, just plays. Like South American kind of music, you know, that you would probably be familiar with the sound. And then takes it away from his mouth and he's like singing in Spanish, like, whatever. Sounds like some sort of folk song. He's singing. Yeah. Like he's, he's performing for me. And it felt like it was his way of saying, like, this is who you are, this is your heritage. This is what I never got to give you and I'm trying to give some of it to you now. This is like Colombian shit. And then he just finishes. There's two parts of me. One part of me is like this is, I completely understand what's happening and this is very sweet. This is very brave of him. I admire him for doing this. I'm thankful. And the other part of me is like, this is weird. Why is this happening? Ugh. I can't believe he's doing this and I'm here and I have to sit through this. And all I could think was my dad would hate this because of the outpouring of emotion. His dad, Derek. As for Fernando, Aidan hasn't seen him in person again. A few WhatsApp messages from him sit there unanswered. But this year... Aiden hopes to get back to Europe, make a stop to see him again. In the meantime, there's some other stuff to figure out. 
I went to a salsa class on Sunday. I want to learn to dance salsa. I'd like to go to Colombia and I see the Colombian community, especially in Melbourne, and I'm like, I reckon that could also be a community that I would enjoy being a part of. So I'm making moves to do that. It's like I could ask myself, who am I forever? Um, and I did, and I went to the other side of the world and asked a guy who my mum slept with 30 years ago, who am I? And he went, I don't know, man, but check this out and play me a song. And I realised that those questions aren't actually important and the way that you should define yourself is not the things that you didn't choose and the circumstances around your birth, but the things that you do every day. That's the important stuff to define yourself by. Aidan's planning a trip to see Derek soon. Recently, Derek called to say that he still has the 1998 Holden Commodore wagon that he used to drive around when Aidan was a kid. And he told Aidan that if he wants to come and collect it, it's his to keep. You can hear more of Aidan's work at aidanjonescomedy.com, including a performance of his recent stand-up special, Taco. Aidan also has a podcast. It's called Sitting Under a Tree, and it comes out every week wherever you listen. Thanks so much for listening to Days Like These. If you've got a story to share or you want to get in touch, you can send us an email, dayslikethese at abc.net.au. You can also follow Days Like These on the ABC Listen app or wherever you listen so that you never miss an episode. And while you're there, if you could leave us a rating and a review, we'd love it and it helps new people find the show. Days Like These is hosted by me, Elizabeth Kulas. Today's episode was made on the lands of the Wiradjuri, Woiwurrung and Gadigal people. Sound design and engineering on this episode by John Jacobs. The supervising producer was Sophie Townsend. Our producer is Tamar Cranswick. Our script editor is Sophie Townsend. Our executive producers are Ian Walker and Tom Wright. Our theme song is Yeah Nah by the Gooch Palms, courtesy of Ratbag Records and BMG. On the next episode of Days Like These, a woman is forced to confront a deception. And I turned to him in the bed and I said, who's Frank? It will unravel her marriage of 30 years and upend everything she thought she knew about her life. So I was conflicted because on one hand, I could cut his dick off. I hate him for what he's done to me. I'm bitter and I'm twisted. But intellectually, I couldn't do that because I understood it. That's coming up next week on days like these. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.